No good deed goes unpunished. Where does that come from? It's not in the Bible. It's not. It's one of those familiar sayings that emerges through time and it gets traction and it becomes part of what we think and what we say. No good deed goes unpunished. And this line comes from, well, one of you who said, hey, Yellick, in this sermon series, why don't you preach on that? So I'm doing it. (laughs) This is what happens. You sign up to do some good deeds at the church, you know, serve God, and it can feel like punishment. Because once you take on that job, it's yours forever, (laughs) if you're not careful. But this phrase, no good deed goes unpunished, goes well beyond good deeds at the church, serving God at the church. Actually, for centuries, theologians have addressed conventional wisdom about God on the subject of reward and punishment. For example, the great theologian Thomas Aquinas, in his Summa Theologica from the 13th century, states this, and I quote, no evil goes unpunished by God, the just judge, and no good deed is unrewarded. And so every good deed merits some good. This is the way we would like it to be, perfectly ordered by God and sustained by God. Evil gets punished and good gets rewarded. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Good people prosper, truth and integrity prevail, evil gets punished. Bullies never win. Wouldn't we love that? As life unfolds, we learn fast that it's not really like that. Indeed, evil people can prosper, and death and destruction can take center stage, as we're watching on the news every day from Ukraine. We see it happening also in our own lives. We can name places where it feels like evil is prospering and the good isn't leading to good rewards. We can feel it. So, as we each deal with evils and uncertainties, the seemingly predictable and the hopeful statements about God and good and evil become actually more acerbic, and they get twisted. Bad things happen to good people. Cynicism creeps in, hence the statement, no good deed goes unpunished. And then, as this idea lives and develops, we find it echoed in novels and in uh, certain stories, as in kindness brings its own kind of punishment. Or in politics, like in Washington, no good deed goes unpunished. We start thinking like this. One place where this phrase gets really good traction, no good deed goes unpunished, is on Broadway and in the very, very popular production, Wicked. Ginger and I saw Wicked some years ago. We even went backstage at the Gershwin Theater and met the wizard played by Tom McGowan, who happens to be a high school classmate of our sister-in-law, Becky. Wicked, the Broadway play, might 
you might recall, is a musical. It's about good and evil. It's sort of the backstory of The Wizard of Oz with a focus on the good witch and the bad witch. And there is a famous song in Wicked sung by the bad witch, and it's entitled No Good Deed. The song includes these words. No good deed goes unpunished. All helpful urges should be circumvented. No good deed goes unpunished. Sure, I meant well. Well, look at what well meant did. No good deed goes unpunished. What we all learn and what we all know is this. We live in a complicated world, and evil is not always punished. And good is not always rewarded. And sometimes bullies seem to win. And good guys and good intentions seem to finish last. So what are we to do? What are we to do as faithful people? I think that the psalm that we read together a moment ago, Psalm 37, offers us some sincere encouragement. You can look at those words again, take them home and think about them. Don't be annoyed by anyone who does wrong and don't envy them. They will soon disappear like grass without rain. Trust the Lord and live right. Do what the Lord wants and he, he will give you your heart's desire. Let the Lord lead you. Trust in him. This psalm is another one of so many trying to remind us, ingrain in us, the context in which we live our lives. We live our lives under God's care. We live our lives with and for God, serving God's purposes. Lots of things might happen, good and bad, but we belong to God. And God reigns, and God never leaves us. Indeed, God holds us forever. That is the context in which we live. We live with and for God. We seek to do good in God's world. We've been blessed. We seek to be a blessing. This is what we do, not worrying about rewards and punishments or outcomes, not stressing over who gets credit or who gets the acclaim. We seek to do good as God's people. This is our calling. This exhortation is all through so many passages of Scripture. Amos, the prophet, who's dealing with so much corruption and destruction, states it clearly. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. And God will be gracious to you. Jesus says over and over in various ways, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is all the law and the prophets, the golden rule. It's not based on rewards. It's not based on punishments. It's not based on who gets credit. It is a way of living in the world as God's people. Or as Ephesians reminds us, we are God's workmanship. Each one of us, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God created beforehand. So we are called over and over to focus on the good that we can do, not worry about the outcome, the so-called punishment even. Trust God, do good, created for good works, love, compassion, care, not for rewards, but for God. Not to earn or prove anything, because, but because this is what God's people do. 
And then what we know also, what we come to learn, living for God, doing good, is not always easy. It may not always be even wonderful or joyful. Living for God, doing good, comes with challenge. It might even include punishment, pain, suffering. Sometimes our good works, our efforts to spread love and compassion might even bring us hurt and harm. Listen to this second passage today. It's also in your bulletin. It comes from the Apostle Paul and the letter to the Romans from chapter 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. So if we look at the history of God's people, it's not a simple story of joy and delight. It's full of heartache. It's full of loss and pain and suffering. Doing good for God, striving for justice and light in a crazy world will lead to challenges and setbacks. So Paul says, we boast in our sufferings, knowing that these sufferings get us closer to God and closer to God's ways. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and then hope. And in all of this, God's love is poured into us through the Holy Spirit. James chapter 1 says something similar. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus reminds his disciples often that they will suffer many things for his sake and the gospels. Paul says, count it all joy to suffer for Christ's sake. Indeed, in the letter to the Acts, in the Acts of the Apostles, after the disciples had been persecuted, after they had been beaten, it says they went on their way rejoicing Rejoicing because they were worthy to suffer for God, suffer for the gospel, considered worthy to suffer. When we endure suffering for God's purposes in the world, we're following Jesus who suffered and died. And we know those who suffer with him will reign with him. This theme runs through the whole New Testament. If you're not suffering for God, you may not be living and serving with and for God. This can be an unsettling idea for us. None of us like to suffer. Most of us want to avoid punishment. Few of us would take on suffering by choice. And yet Scripture tells us clearly that doing good and living and serving God 
can bring us suffering and even punishment. No good deed goes unpunished. But here's the truth. Our job as disciples is to stay focused on the calling, not get caught up in the cost. Stay focused on the calling, not get caught up in the cost. We stay focused on doing justice, on loving kindness, on walking humbly with God, even as we know it just might lead us into uncomfortable situations, perhaps even pain and punishment. Loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves is the sole goal. And it just might bring us discomfort and pain and loss. This is what we're called to be about. Maybe the best examples here come from people like John Lewis. John Lewis and his comrades in the struggle for voting rights in the South, they had a mission, and it was rooted in their faith, and it was rooted in justice, equality, and dignity for everyone. They knew God was on their side as they were walking across the bridge in Selma. They knew they had a sacred mission, dealing with racism and violence, facing prison even, and they stayed focused on the calling, even getting beaten to near death. The good work of God can be dangerous, full of peril, but this is what disciples of Jesus do. So we may not be today on the front lines of violence and peril like Lewis or like others we might name even today, but we need to hear, each of us, the importance of this calling, which is for all of us. As the psalm says, if you do what the Lord wants, he will make sure, make certain each step you take is sure. The Lord will hold your hand, and if you stumble, you still won't fall. We stay focused on the calling to live and serve as God's people, not becoming cautious because of what might happen to us. Or as the apostle says, we boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and God's love is poured all over us. Most of us are really good at measuring the costs and being cautious. And yet we're called to trust God and serve God. Most of us are generally inclined to take really good care of ourselves. And God keeps calling us to love God in the world and serve others, do justice, love kindness, promote hope for all people. Most of us are hesitant. Well, most of us are even unsure what, what it means to serve God sometimes. And yet God keeps calling forth our best efforts, our best gifts for God's important work in the world. We're all ministers. Our bulletin reminds us that. Every Sunday, we're all to do good, to work with God for the redeeming of the world, no matter what. This is a good day to think about this, a day when we celebrate new officers, elders, and deacons, and ordain and install them for the work of God in this church by agreeing to serve, by participating in this ordination and installation. These people are confirming 
as many of us have done and continue to do, that the work we do together is important work, bringing God's life and light to this city and to the whole world. These new leaders are agreeing to give time and energy, money and resources to God's work in and through this church. And they are giving priority to this work for God, even knowing that it might be challenging sometimes, difficult sometimes. Things that are important and things that are valuable demand something from us. We seek to serve God, all of us. So I hope all of us today can remember we're all on a similar journey, responding to the calling that is ours from our baptisms. And that calling means growing always, deepening always, strengthening love and work for God and doing good, sacrificing and serving and finding new ways to do it. We can all be pushing ourselves a little bit, day by day, week by week, year by week, year by year, to bring about the reign of God in the world. What can you do more, better, for God. We keep finding ways to let go of our selfish pursuits and discover ways to serve God with each of our lives. Maybe we choose to volunteer with Walk-In, with Elva on Monday or the shower ministry on Tuesday. It pushes us out of our comfort zones and it deepens our sense of commitment to God and it gets us closer to people that God cares really deeply about. Maybe we help with the prison ministry in our city or take food to needy people in parts of this city that we never even go to and encounter people that are far away from our normal connections. Maybe we write letters to, of advocacy. Maybe we extend ourselves beyond our circle of connections to do justice and strive for equity, and hope for everyone. Maybe we all take another step in owning our own racist tendencies. Take another step at owning our part in the degradation of the planet and therefore find a little uncomfortableness, discomfort, and move closer to serving God in the world. Our goal is to do good. Our goal is to be instruments of God's peace in the world, and we can all keep working on this. No good deed goes unpunished. That's not our motto. It's not our motto. Our motto is love God and love God's people. That's how we find life and purpose, no matter what the cost. Our motto is to spread God's light and peace, especially as it calls forth sacrifice and service from us. No exceptions. Our vow is to serve, serve God with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. This is all of our calling because God reigns forever. Our purpose is, as the final hymn sends us, Go to the world, go to the world to commit our lives to God's purposes, working for God always and everywhere. This is our calling. May it be so. Amen.
Let us pray. Oh, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Remind us that we're shaped in your love for your purposes in the world and keep sending us forth. Following Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.